Good morning. Want to welcome you to worship this morning. My name is Beth Walker. For those of you who don't know me, I am um, working for Pastor Rod this morning. His blood pressure, he's having issues with it, and he was just not able to make it this morning, and he sends his apologies, but we send our prayers for him. So again, let me welcome you to worship. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, If you haven't done so already, the connection card that's on your chair, if you could fill those out. There's a box in the back, an offering box, and one out in the lobby, and you can just slip those right in there. I don't know about you, but I enjoy being church, uh, in church on Sunday mornings. I remember as a kid, I was probably, I was in high school, and I was one of those kids who liked church, and that was pretty unusual for kids my age, right? But I remember one time when I um, got to write an entire church service before I even knew what it was all about, and the youth got to present church, and we um, did a parody on things that we saw in church. It was very, it was very interesting, but... I appreciate all the adults in my life that let me do those things when I was younger because it just kept fanning that flame for the Spirit of God in my life. And it's a great pleasure to be able to um, share that with you over the years and all the people that have lifted me up and my parents for making me go to church every Sunday. Um, You know, my brothers don't go to church, but I still go to church. So obviously there was a connection there. So thank you, Mom, for making me go to church. (laughs) And I'm so happy that we're here together today, and I trust that God will touch our hearts in a special way this morning. As a reminder for all of us, let me explain what's happening today and next weekend, because it's just a bit different than the rest of the year. Each spring, we spend a few weeks after Easter teaching what the Bible says about managing our financial resources in preparation for asking you who are members and regular attendees to complete a commitment card that will indicate your support for the ministry of this church in the coming year. Now let me put your mind at ease. No one is going to come and twist your arm and ask you to give to this church. That's not our style. But we do teach what the Bible says about the lifestyle of a Christ follower and how giving is one of the spiritual disciplines and we believe is a door to receiving God's blessings in our lives. We we serve a God who sees and understands what a mess this world is in. And yet, as you will hear me say in a variety of different ways, we serve a God who makes things happen for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This church has no other sources of income except the generous giving of those who are part of this congregation who worship here and take part in some of the programs here, who value the kind of ministry that we are about in this community. You should have received a letter in the mail this week, I know I did, that gave you a few more specifics about what giving patterns look like in our congregation and included a commitment card. I'm inviting you to be praying about your gifts, then bring it back, Um, Bring back a card next week as we offer them in an act of consecration to God. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, may your presence be so real to us today that our lives will be brought into harmony with your will and your purposes. Make us instruments of your great love so that we can bring help and hope to others, both in this place and in all the places of service where you put us. Open our hearts and minds across these couple of weeks 
to hear your call to be good managers of all you've given us. And may the truth of your word fill us with faith and free us to walk in obedience with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing the church's one foundation. I invite you to stand and join us singing if you care to do so. Please be seated. 
Let me invite you to hear this words of Psalm 146 as we begin our time of worship this morning. Praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves those who are godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. Lord of hope and light, shine into our darkness and bring hope to our souls. Remind us again of the wonderful ways you have cared for us when we were lost. Open our hearts to receive your loving spirit this day and refresh our minds with knowledge of your everlasting power and compassion. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You may remain seated if you wish. are doing um, a sermon series called Difference Maker, and so it's release what is in your hand, and it's from 1 Kings 17, 7 through 16, the Bible verses are from that. Um, I want to just give you a little caveat here. I've had the sermon since last evening, so I'm not as practiced at, as, at it as I have been the last few times, so please excuse me if I stumble a little. At a crucial time in the history of Judah and Israel, we find that the prophet Elijah suddenly appeared on the scene. He became the dominant spiritual force in Israel during the dark days of the wicked King Ahab and his pagan wife Jezebel. The name Elijah means Yahweh is my God. 
In the days when Ahab's government officially supported the worship of Baal and other gods, even the name of this prophet told the truth. It was a crucial time in the history of Israel. It looked as if the worship of the true God might be completely eliminated in the northern kingdom of Israel. The land swarmed with the priests of Baal. They rose to power, bringing with them all kinds of evil. The followers of Jehovah God were persecuted and put to death. The whole land seemed to renounce the one true God. We are told that of all the thousands who lived in Israel, only 7,000 remained who had not bowed on the knee to Baal. But they were paralyzed with fear and kept so still that their very existence was unknown by Elijah in the hour of his great loneliness. Let's pick up the story in 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah, who was from Teshibi in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. There will be no dew nor rain during the next few years until I give the word. In a dramatic demonstration against the pagan god Baal, who was thought to be the sky god, the god of weather, Elijah showed that through his prayers to the god of Israel, Yahweh was mightier than Baal. He prayed, and it happened. God cursed the land, and there was neither dew nor rain for three years and six months. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now let me give you some additional background. As I said, Israel was suffering from a drought as punishment for the people's sins. The Lord's curse was devastating. It was devastating the land. Every day and every night, it was the same story. No rain, not even any dew on the ground. And it was because of Elijah's prayers that the drought began. So he became the most wanted man in all of Israel. So God sent the prophet Elijah to the brook Cherith on the east side of the Jordan River to hide from those who wanted to kill him. And he was to rest. There the Lord took care of him. Elijah drank from the brook, and the ravens fed him there twice each day. But he was not to stay there forever. Our scripture reading tells us that after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. It was time for Elijah to move on. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Listen to what God said. I have instructed a widow. Earlier, he told Elijah that he commanded the ravens to feed him. 
I think it's, an interest, it's interesting to note that God makes several demands and expects his instructions to be obeyed, even by a raven and by a pagan woman. Go and live in the village of Zarephath. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. A couple of questions come to mind here. Why did Elijah have to leave the brook at Cherith? And why did he have to go to Zarephath? By going to Zarephath, this meant that Elijah would have to travel into Gentile territory, a region where he would not be welcomed as a prophet of the one true God. Now, I don't think Elijah had to leave Cherith because the brook was dry. The wondrous power of God is not stopped by a little dried-up creek. Remember, he is the God who ripped open a rock and provided water for Moses. He is the God who provided food for his people for 40 years in the wilderness. He commands and controls all the forces of nature. Even the ravens listen to his instructions. And we will learn soon that God will make flour and oil multiply. Without God's will, no brook could ever dry up. We can only conclude that God dried up the brook because he wanted Elijah to move to another location. So God sent Elijah to Zarephath. Why this place? As Jesus would tell us years later, there were many many widows in Israel who would gladly have looked after Elijah. Why the widow in Zarephath? Why didn't God make use of the faithful closer to home who also would have gladly looked after Elijah? Think about how difficult this must have been. First, he has to go and meet a woman. In that culture, it was not easy or an accepted thing to do. Second, he is to go and meet a Gentile woman. For a Jewish man, that was doubly difficult. And third, he is to go and meet a Gentile woman who is a widow. This meant when he found her, she was going to be very poor. Now notice one other thing. God told Elijah to go to Zarephath and stay there. First, he was to stay at the brook. Now he is to stay in a widow's house in Zarephath. That's not an easy command for a man of action like Elijah. Elijah has been by himself for a long time, hiding by the brook. Now the brook has dried up, and God sent him into Baal's backyard. And his orders are simple. I want you to stay there. Obviously, God wanted to give Israel and the church a message. He revealed something to us by sending Elijah to a widow in Zarephath. Zarephath was a small coastal town outside of Israel's borders. It was north of Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. To get there from Cherith, Elijah had to cross over the Jordan and pass through all of the northern kingdom of Israel. When we see, what we see is that God was passing his own people by. It was and is God's people who have the privilege and the responsibility of ministering to God's prophets. But God did not want to make use of Israel's services. He passed his people by and chose a woman outside of Israel, outside of the Hebrew faith, to look after his prophet. A pagan widow would be Elijah's hostess. Israel was no longer God's co-worker. That privilege was now being enjoyed by an outsider. How humiliating this was for the people of God. It should have been Israel that protected and preserved and sustained and looked after the prophet. 
But instead, an outsider is picked to do their job. Zarephath was not only outside of Israel, but it was also a city that belonged to Sidon. It's in modern-day Lebanon. Sidon was controlled by the pagan king Esther, the father of Jezebel. Imagine that. Elijah was told to seek refuge within the domain of a heathen king. He was told to go to a land where Baal was worshipped. He was to go to a land opposed to Jehovah God. He was to go to a land that represented a great threat to the people in service of the Lord. He was to go to that land and live there in enemy territory in the domain of Satan. Have you ever felt like God got your file mixed up with somebody else's file? When we read this story, it's easy to think that the filing system on the heavenly computer went haywire somehow. I imagine Elijah saying something like, Lord, I've been here in Cherith for a long while, and now that you're sending me to Gentile territory to find a widow who is dirt poor, and you want me to stay there? Have you forgotten that I'm called to preach the word of God, and I'm called to bring a nation back to you? Lord, what are you doing? I want to go someplace else, not a kingdom ruled by Satan. Do you see what the Lord God was doing here? He was mocking and making fun of Satan and the power of darkness. A pagan was used by God to preserve the servant of Jehovah. Satan's tool was used by God to protect the word of the Lord. We are reminded here of the weakness and futility of God's enemies. So, in obedience to God's word, Elijah went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Somehow, Elijah knew that this was the widow, the outsider, that God had picked for sustaining him. So he started off with a small request. Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread, too. It quickly became obvious that this was no small request. In fact, Elijah just made a huge demand of this widow. He asked her to make a fantastic sacrifice. The rain that did not fall in Israel did not fall in the land surrounding Israel either. This meant poor or no crop, a shortage of food, and high prices. For widows and other poor people, that meant a lack of life's most basic necessities. The widow explained her situation to Elijah, that she lived in extreme poverty, that she only had enough flour and oil for one last meal, that she and her son were going to eat that last meal, then die. Even after her explanation, Elijah still insisted on the little bit she had left. We can say here without exaggeration that Elijah asked her to give him everything, and he refused to settle for anything less. At first thought, we might think Elijah was selfish. Maybe that was the widow's first thought, too. But bear in mind Elijah's position. He was a prophet of God. He was not simply begging for food on his own behalf. No, he was appealing to the widow to serve the God of Israel. It was the word of the Lord which was making claim on all she had. Elijah's claim, seen in this light, was not so extraordinary after all. In fact, it was the same demand that the Lord has always made of Israel. It's the same demand that God makes of us and all his people. 
God always demands our all. He is never satisfied with less than a total response. For God, it has always been and always will be all or nothing. The Lord has always asked everything of his people. In Canaan, life in its, entire, in its entirely was to be consecrated to the Lord. From day to day and year to year, the Lord demanded of his people that they totally consecrate themselves to him. All their wealth, their land, their crops, their children, their whole life was to be dedicated to the Lord. The Lord, through Elijah, was demanding the same thing of this outsider, a widow from Zarephath. God, however, was not going to leave this widow with an empty stomach. If she does obey the Lord's call to serve Elijah, look at verses 13 and 14. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. What would the widow do? Would she submit to God's word? Would she have the faith to believe God's promise spoken by Elijah that the oil and flour would not run out? Now that Elijah has spoken, she has to make the biggest decision of her life. She would have to respond with a deed of faith or a refusal of unbelief. Her very first reaction to the word of the Lord would show either conversion or aversion. The word of the Lord would either make her repent or harden her heart. It would either draw her nearer or push her farther away. The very next step she would take would mean yes or no, right or left, life or death. Either she would sacrifice everything and thereby get it all back and much more, or she would hang on to what she had and die. She did not have a few weeks to think this difficult decision over. She had to make up her mind right then and there. What would she do? And what did her son want her to do? Now, what would you do if you were this woman? Imagine that you met someone for the first time. Let's suppose this person claims everything you have in the name of the Lord. What would be your response? What did she do? Recorded in our scripture reading is one of the most remarkable verses in all of the Bible. Look at verses 15 and 16. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. She went away and did as Elijah told her, and there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. What a tremendous, amazing faith she obeyed. She preserved the life of God's prophet, and God miraculously kept food in her house. She had never seen Elijah before, she had never before seen the miraculous power of God at work. Yet, she made a total and complete sacrifice. She gave up all she had for the Lord. 
This sort of sacrifice is totally impossible for any normal person facing, facing starvation and death, and especially impossible for a mother facing the death of her own child. The widow of Zarephath was not a normal woman. She had something extra. She had faith. And by faith, she submitted to God's word. By faith, she fed the Lord's servant. Years ago, I read of a church in the eastern United States that displayed similar faith. This small congregation in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains built a new church on a piece of land willed to them by a church member. Ten days before the new church was to open, the local building inspector informed the pastor that the parking lot was inadequate for the size of the building. Until the church doubled the size of the parking lot, they would not be able to use the new building. Unfortunately, the church, with its undersized lot, had used every inch of their land except for the mountain against which it had been built. In order to build more parking spaces, they would have to move the mountain out of the backyard. Undaunted, the pastor announced the next Sunday morning that he would meet that evening with all the members who had mountain-moving faith. They would hold a prayer session asking God to remove the mountain from their backyard and to somehow provide enough money to have it paved and striped before the scheduled opening dedication service a few weeks later. At the appointed time, 24 of the congregation's 300 members assembled for prayer. They prayed for nearly three hours. At 10 o'clock, the pastor said the final amen. I'll believe we will open as scheduled, he assured everyone. God has never let us down before, and I will be I believe he'll be faithful this time too. The next morning, as he was working in his study, there came a loud knock at his door. When he called come in, a rough looking construction foreman appeared, removing his hard hat as he entered. Excuse me, Reverend, I'm from Acme Construction Company over in the next county. We're building a huge shopping mall and we need some fill dirt. Would you be willing to sell us a chunk of that mountain behind the church? We'll pay you for the dirt we remove and pave all the exposed area free of charge. If we can have it right away. We can't do anything else until we get the dirt in and allow it to settle properly. The little church was dedicated a few weeks later as originally planned, and there were far more members with mountain-moving faith on that opening Sunday than there had been the previous week. What amazing, tremendous faith. Would you have shown up for that meeting of prayer? The widow of Zarephath had that kind of faith. She didn't complain about the size of the sacrifice. She didn't question Elijah's sanity. She went away and and did just as Elijah had told her. Nowhere in Israel did Elijah see such faith. There is a message here for Israel and the church. Israel was suffering under a drought because, as a nation, it did not have faith in God and his word. Israel had rejected God in favor of Baal and the other pagan gods. God's people did not keep the faith. However, in the kingdom of Ethbaal, deep within the domain of Satan, there was a woman. This woman was not one of God's chosen people. This woman did not know of God's wondrous dealings with Israel, yet she was confronted by God's word, and she submitted. She gave God her all. She had faith. 
The widow of Zarephath is meant to put God's people to shame. An outsider has faith while God's people do not. The widow of Zarephath is meant as an example, and we are to follow her example of faith. A faith that did not question or complain, but a faith that gave all she had to God. You see, God demands the same of us that he demanded of the widow of Zarephath and of Israel. He demands our whole life, our wealth, our possessions, our family, our homes, our businesses, our all. God dares us to do what he dared the widow to do, to give it all over to him. As the widow of Zarephath found out, no sacrifice is too big to make for our God. You might wonder what this story has to do with us. In Luke 4, we see that Jesus used the widow of Zarephath in his teaching. Just like in the time of Elijah, God's people were rejecting God's word. This time, however, the word was Jesus. In other words, what happened at the time of Elijah also happened at the time of Jesus. And it happens today as well. God's people reject God's word. By means of the story of the widow, we hear Jesus saying two things. First, that once again God may have to bypass all his people. And he did when he had the gospel taken by the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles. And second, that an outsider has faith while God's own people do not. That too happened when we see the leaders of Israel rejecting the Lord while sinners and tax collectors flocked around him. So here's my challenge to you today. Let us make sure we are never passed by God because of unbelief. Let us respond to God's word by imitating the faith of an outsider, a faith that stops nothing short of giving God our all. Pray with me. Dear God, help us to see that our faith is so important and that we need to give you our all and that we praise you and love you and thank you for your son, Jesus. Amen. There are some announcements. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. You can see what it says on the slide and commitment cards. Remember, it's May 2nd. That's next Sunday. And we're going to dedicate our gifts to God. And also next Sunday is communion. That's all for today, so I invite you to stand and join us in singing hymn number 465, The Holy Spirit, Truth Divine.
go now into God's world, ready and willing to be loving, trusting, and generous people. Go with the assurance that God's Spirit is within you, making it evident that you are a child of God, a, child, a God who cares for all of God's people. So go in his peace. Amen.